Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Now that the long-awaited Pentagon report on UFOs or UAPs has been revealed, what does it mean? What do UFOs have to do with our spirituality? What do oranges have to do with all of it? Hello and welcome to the 901st edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, coming to you from WON AM and FM Radio in Woonsocket, Rhode Island on the Paranormal Radio app, from TalkStream Live and on TuneIn.com. I'm Ben, and those revealing questions came from my co-host, partner in Paranormal Adventures, and dad, Paul. Now we, are, we also uh, stream live on YouTube. The, the station has a YouTube channel, but I don't understand it, so I'm not going to talk about it. Well, it's, hey, you know, just look up ON Worldwide. Uh, and you can go to their website, onworldwide.com. It can take you to the stream, or you can just look us up uh, on YouTube. That's Owen Worldwide. Thank you, Ben. It's better to be son younger than yourself. Mm. Today we welcome British UFO researcher and author Paul Askoff. Paul has lived in Yorkshire, England all his life. You'd never know from his accent. All his life, so far anyway, and has investigated the phenomenon of UFOs and the paranormal for over 50 years. His entire working life has been spent in the medical field, he was an occupational nurse for the British National Coal Board, followed by service as a medic in both the regular army and the territorial army, which is the equivalent of the U.S. National Guard, uh, then as a civilian paramedic in Yorkshire. His book, recently released by our friends at Flying Disc Press, is UFOs, The Real Story. So, Paul Askoff, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Thank you for having me. Lovely. Hey, it's great to have you with us. And, you know, Paul, I think we are duty-bound to begin with what everyone is talking about, and that is the preliminary assessment, uh, unidentified aerial phenomena. I like that they, they created a new sort of little, uh, uh, not a mnemonic, I can't remember the word for it right now, a little little device instead of UFO, it's an unidentified aerial phenomena. Release. Yeah, UAP, that, that's been lurking out there for a while. Yeah, it's not as, doesn't sound, doesn't roll off the tongue as doesn't well. Doesn't do it. No. Right. So, released by the U.S. military, that was on Friday, June 25th? Yeah. Yes, just yeah. two days ago, yep. Yeah, and uh, so I guess we, we kind of have to start talking about it. So, Paul, what are your thoughts on this whole thing? Right. Well, I have to say, unfortunately, guys, same old, same old. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, there, there are a few things that they, they have brought out, which at least they've admitted that there is things happening. However, there are always the secondary paragraph that say, but are the explanations in reality something mundane and you always get that undercurrent but at the end of the day they are admitting that there are things happening they are admitting that there is a need and there is a need for funding so that's a positive the downside is that they're saying there's no information or little what can I say scientific information that they can justify looking back on before 2004 so from a ufologist's point of view, does that mean the last 60 years of research that everybody, and there are some brilliant researchers out there, is that not going to count in the future, you know? Mm. Well, another thing that, that they say is, uh, you know, by way of an excuse, I think, is more that uh, they really don't have the tracking uh, procedures or ability to really determine anything beyond the... What, what was it been the five uh, categories yeah. that, that they did identify and uh, I agree with you Paul I just think it's um, an exercise in, in, in nonsense uh, and it's nothing we haven't known for, for many decades we being the researchers 
and it sort of backs up the uh, the contention that, <clears throat> that what we're always saying that that if there's any kind of disclosure here or coming, it's going to be from us, you know, people like us who who research this thing. So um, Ben is scanning the document. I'm right. trying to remember because uh, I, I was rereading it this morning um, in in preparation, and there were two really interesting things that they that were pointed out that um, they they they're very vague but they give a very very interesting context and one of them um, they list on on page four of the report here and it's the UAP collection challenges which is which is really interesting because we've kind of talked about this slightly over the years but not not in, 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 t- in too much depth and one of the things they call out is sociocultural stigmas and sensory limitations um, remain obstacles to collecting data on UAP your thoughts on that Paul yeah. I mean, that's something that they've been practicing very well, may I add, for the last 70 years. So they've had lots of practice for it. So Mm. it's, in some ways, now this is the other thing as well. If you went into your local shopping mall, where you live now, and asked the first hundred people that walked past you what a UFO was, they would know. If you asked them what a UAP is... I guarantee you that less than 5% would have any idea whatsoever. And is this another, if you like, divisive way of underlining things and moving things? I'm, I'm not decreeing it because if we were to start again, UAP is probably a more accurate description. However, it is partly negating all the work that has been done up to that point. You know, that, that is exactly what occurred to me uh, driving to the station this morning was that, that this is another sort of a twist and a deliberate route, not maybe a ruse, yeah. but uh, changing yeah. the terminology can change the narrative mm, in yeah. a way, you know. So, yeah. well, there you have it. Uh, I haven't heard too many uh, people who were impressed by this. Oh, there was one other thing no. yeah. that, was, that was really interesting about it, and it was um, most of the reports came from either military bases or training facilities, which... Yeah. Yeah, military observers, anyway. Mostly uh, naval aviators. Right, which is interesting, only because it just makes me think of... The first thing that, that popped to mind was um, UAF Bentwaters. And that was... Oh. And, and I was like, okay, well, that's that's an interesting thing to, to sort of pop up. Um, which the explanation was, well, you know, it could be, you know, foreign governments with... You know, technology we don't know about yet. Yeah, it's it's possible, right? And um, you know, it's but it is it is interesting that the the narrative is trying to be spun in a different way. Yeah. And you know, you change the terms, you change the story. Well, Paul, you served in the British military. Are there any were there any protocols given to you? Uh, I know you weren't a general or anything, but I mean, uh, was there anything said about this subject? Nothing whatsoever. The only thing that happened to me was. Uh, on a training exercise once, I was like a section commander in a reconnaissance platoon, so we were trained observers. And during an ex- night exercise, only moving maybe 10 miles during the night, but we had to go and check in on certain points. And I was leading a section of four. Reconnaissance platoon tended to be smaller specialist units. And we watched the UFO I would say for at least two, two and a half hours one night while we were doing this. And when I went to report it afterwards, you you always have a debrief. And when I reported this afterwards and I said, we knew exactly the position it was, we were trying to triangulate it to see 
the actual we could get a grid reference of where it was above so the other units that were or may have been training should have seen it too and I was trying to give information to my commanding officer to say this is what happened this is what we saw and he he wrote everything down took a proper like did a summary of it with all the information we gave him uh, and I would have liked to have thought that he took it further however I never heard another thing yeah well, that, that was the same here um I served in the U.S. Coast Guard, which is he, in this country is one of the forces, and uh, we were at sea. But before I went to sea, I was told, and, and my job was was um, pretty much uh, well uh, photography and documenting the Cubans and what they were, what mischief they happened to be up to in the wake of the uh, Grenada and Panama affairs here in, in this side of the world. Uh, but uh, th- there was a general understanding uh, th- in in my group that you had to um, if you saw anything like that you reported it to up the chain of command and then you never heard about it again uh, because uh, you know on a ship you're out you know you have, you have 360 degree views clear skies all sorts of things in the Caribbean Sea in our case and uh, there were things you would see and um, I the only thing I ran into on that particular cruise was um a member of the legislature in Puerto Rico, where where we stopped, uh, who had seen a tremendous UFO sighting. He and his entire family uh, earlier, actually the previous year, and that's going to be in our new book that's coming up about UFOs. Uh, will come out next year, but um, there was uh, a, a strict, uh, a rather a, a clear protocol that you reported it, and up it went, and you never heard of it again. So. Anyway, so that, that was that. But in any mm-hmm. case, let's uh, let's move on. Um, we want to talk about your book, of course, uh, and you point out something that's very fascinating to me, Paul, and that's the religion and spirituality aspects of the paranormal in general, UFOs or UAPs in particular. Uh, how does that work? Well, one of the analogies, if you'll allow me to explain, we work on... Uh, our normal electromagnetic spectrum that we are aware of. So you've got the high end, which we're using now, radio waves, and then it comes down through the infrared, through visible light and the acoustic spectrum, and then goes down through the ultraviolet, X-rays and then gamma rays at the lower end. Now that is what our science is accepted, what we work with on a day-to-day basis, but even on the electromagnetic spectrum that we know about, the actual bit that we use, the acoustic and visible spectrum, on a day-to-day basis, is actually less than one-tenth of one percent. So you can see how such a tiny, tiny portion of what we are aware of. Then you move from that to what the latest uh, cosmologists are using and things like that, where they're saying that dark energy and dark matter can make up as much as even 95% of the universe, but we don't have the technology at the moment to measure it, to look at it, to do anything at all with it. They're just saying it must be there for us to work and for the universe to work as it does. Therefore, we are only looking at less than one-tenth of one percent of the five percent that we're working with. And one of the things that I absolutely believe 
is that E.T., who could be a thousand, could be ten thousand years ahead of us in technology and spiritual development, they are masters at being able to understand, to control and to use the whole of this spectrum that we know practically nothing about. You know, I have to say, Paul, that in 13 plus years on the air, I cannot remember anyone uh, who was a UFO author and researcher mentioning that that really important subject, spirituality. Because we've often said, we often equate, we always seem to equate advancement with technological advancement. No. Very serious mistake. As we said, who who are the most advanced uh, humans in the 1930s uh, technologically? Uh, the, The Germans. You know, the Nazis, how'd that work out, they right? They were, yeah. certainly. Right, well, just to go on to, to explain a little on the spiritual side of things. If you imagine the frequency that we know about, from the gamma rays at the bottom, through our visible, to the radio waves at the top end, we're looking at that. If you imagine that is an LP, a normal, old-fashioned vinyl record, right? That is our 5% that we know about. The edge of the record, where you would put the needle on to play, is, if you like, evil, the lower frequencies. And then, as it moves across, each groove is a separate lesson, is a separate life, and it is how we progress. That is what we are doing here now. You are somewhere in one of those grooves, trying to progress by your own efforts right now, by the way you think, by your thought processes, to lift yourself and improve, so that when you come back for your next lesson, you're moving towards the centre, which some would call God, some would call purity, some would call the divine creator, whatever you want to call it. At the end of the day, all religions, all religions, a man-made. God's never written anything down. The infinite creator, whatever you want to call him, never wrote anything down. It was always man that wrote it down. Therefore, it's by your thought processes that you can improve and lift yourself. It's by your ethics, your morals, your helping other people. And and I'm not saying it's easy (laughs) by any stretch of the imagination. But it's by your efforts that you can improve and learn your lessons to move forward to become a higher spiritually evolved being. Now, to make it slightly more complicated, there's not just the LP, the vinyl record that we're on. The other 95% of dark energy and dark matter, so we're in the middle somewhere of a whole stack of records that we're not even aware of. And that is how the universe works, if you like. So you're almost talking about what we talk about, which is uh, maybe in a different way, the parallel lives mm-hmm. and this sort of thing, a multiverse kind of thing where all, all yeah. possible outcomes exist. And um, one wonders what is the, uh, the outcome as far as UFOs are concerned or UAPs. Ben, you look like you're the smoke coming out of your ears. Huh? No, I'm thinking. Okay, well, that's what I mean. Smoke's coming out. <laughs> oh, are you, su- are you suggesting it hurts to think? No, 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 not at all. <laughs> that's a good thing, Ben. That's a good thing. Um, yes, yes, it is. Well, I guess my, my first question would be, um, progress to what? You said the center, but what is that? Right. That would be purity. The idea is that, or my, it's just, I mean, I'm, n- I'm not, no way am I saying I'm an expert. This is just with my experiences and 
what I, how I've got to where I am in my life, what I believe is the natural progression of our soul, if that's what you want to call it. Now, it's not just us. E.T., for want of a better term, are going through exactly the same process. They too, they might be ten records higher up in the stack than we are, technologically more advanced, but also maybe spiritually more advanced. But they have to abide by the same universal law, if you want, for want of a better term. So everybody, everything, every living sentient being, whether it knows it or not is irrelevant, you are on this journey trying to get towards the centre as a way of improving and developing your soul. We'd like so, to hear, oh, go ahead, Ben. What is this universal law? That everything, I'm not saying it's a law as such, it's just a way of explaining it, but every, every sentient being, being, that is, being able to think, being able to distinguish between what's right and what's wrong, every sentient being should uh, improve itself. It shouldn't be doing bad things. It should have good morals. It should have good ethics. But where do the ethics and morals come from? Ah, that's it, exactly. They come from your vibration, your soul, and helping that. Everything has a magnetic field. Right, you have a magnetic field, I have a magnetic If I met you in real life, Paul and Ben, we would know immediately if we're going to get on. Because your aura, for want of a better term, recognises mine. So that's when you use the old catchphrase where they were on your wavelength. And that's exactly right. That's how you know as soon as you meet somebody if you're going to get on with them or not. You know if you've got a personality clash. You People automatically know these things because your aura, your higher self, senses that. But you have, as you're now sat in front of computer screens, the chair we sat on, the room that we're in, even the building, everything has a magnetic field and they all influence what you feel and what you do. But by the same token, you also, by your very thoughts and everything else, everything's energy. Every thought that you put out is an energy. So that's why you people know when you meet them, if you're going to get on with them, they know if you're a good person or not. And because it's a subconscious thing that our higher soul can pick up on that. Does that make sense? Well, I'm wondering where, where ETs, if that's what they are, come into this. Would you have the same uh, sort of interaction with ETs? Or, or, or what I'm really getting at here, Paul, is uh, we have a problem with the island theory, as we call it, that we were all self-contained rather than, than connected. And I, I think you agree with that in the, in the sense that uh, we're not just individual islands. You know, so, no. so where would ET come into all this? So ET is just a different race, a different evolving being, if you like, that is just on a different record to us. So they're on a completely different frequency. However, now I've said that, if you're able to understand and control and you can manipulate those frequencies, they can reduce their vibration to come down through the records to lower themselves onto our vibration so they're they can interact with us on our vinyl LP, if you like. That's just an analogy I use so that people can understand it easily. Sure. Um, I'm thinking of the, the quote from the great Stanton Friedman, who was a dear friend of ours. He said, we are 
a primitive species whose primary activity is tribal warfare, why would they, they, the alien, want to talk to us? What are your thoughts on that? Would they treat us as equals? Uh, what, What do you think? Well, now there's a good question. The thing is, looking at it from their point of view, now I'm not saying they're all goody goody two shoes because there will be good and bad ET I believe there are many races uh, and there are good and bad ET however is it a bizarre act of kindness that ET don't when they do interact with us don't let us remember as much as we could do are we just if you like if you were if I use the uh, example the local nature reserve where you are you would go in maybe, put nets up, catch all the birds, make sure they're healthy, make sure there's a good population, ring them if you need to, and let them go. Is that the similar sort of bizarre act of kindness that E.T. are now using us with, but they're not letting us remember the full extent of it because it's... As in, what can I say? It, because yeah. people... Because of the mainstream media and things being always they were attacked they were everything's against somebody's will and everything's on a negative connotation uh, well I don't think that may necessarily be the right road to follow I'm not saying in every case but if you get so, what I mean so the, the, the interest, there's a few interesting things I, I wrote down that, that, you, that you pointed out which I'm going to going to kind of go through there's a really is is a very interesting word to use you know is is this possible is this is this you know etc so you you brought up an interesting point if they evolved differently from us would that mean they have the same morals not necessarily and the thing is what we are trying to do is put our expectations and our experiences and our lives onto theirs and there, I mean, we don't know. It's like, as you often see the joke, a fisherman captures a fish and then they let him go back in the water and it's like, does he tell the other fish that he's just been abducted, you know? And it's that sort of scenario. Now, um, I can, do, you, do you want me to move on yet, Ben? Because I can explain this a little further, if you wish. Eh, it's up to you, Dad. Oh, no, go ahead. Uh, we'll have our break in a few minutes, and then we'll get on to some listener questions. But go ahead, Paul. 25 words or less. <laughs> okay, He's I'll joking. carry on then. The, to, to sort of go on from that, it's the electromagnetic spectrum that E.T. is fully aware of that we're not. That is why E.T. can choose... I'll just use the phrase E.T. because it's an easy coverall, but they can immediately recognize somebody because everybody is unique. So that is why you get abductees that don't recall anything at all. Even to um, Calvin Parker, he only naturally remembered the Pascagoula incident. Yet when Kathmarden regressed him, he'd actually had four incidents of when he'd been abducted. But he only naturally remembered one of them. So because they're able to realise that, they can make people remember what they want. They can remember nothing at all, or people sometimes remember owls. Owls is a good one. Uh, we get a lot of those people that remember just a vehicle at the side of the road or the side of the path, but they don't remember what it was. And not b- being allowed to remember 
is that a bizarre act of kindness on the part of E.T. that abductees don't remember all that they could. But by being able to control it, that is why they can come straight to you. They can float you straight out through the bedroom wall, through a door, through a ceiling. They can appear at the side of your bed. And we constantly hear all these stories. And I was very fortunate that I spoke to Bud Hopkins and had lunch with him once. Hmm. And he said, Paul, I did got into this quite by chance, wanting to help people, more on the counselling side of it. And it was only as people got more into it that people from whatever walk of life and from whatever background, whether they're wealthy, poor, he says, and whatever geographical location they came from in the world, they were all telling me the same story. And he says, at the end of the day, this evidence is so overwhelming, you have to sit back and think, there's got to be something to it. And that is how we became, what can I say, a flag bearer for the UFO community. Well, just uh, for anyone who might not know, Bud Hopkins was uh, probably the greatest uh, expert or a a practitioner in uh, hypnosis, etc., researching the uh, UFO, the alien abduction phenomenon, Mm. uh, particularly, uh, you know, in the last century. And uh, we encountered him in 2003 at a conference we were both speaking at. Ben, you were like, I don't know, really... I was like eight eight or or nine, something like that. Well, maybe ten. Maybe. Yeah, but um, it was, unfortunately, and we sat down with his album, and the the, uh, physical marks he showed me from people who have been abducted looked an awful lot like a lot of the things I'd run into in poltergeist cases. So we were going to yep. do some work on that, but then he came down with with his his fatal illness, unfortunately, and mm. uh, we never got a chance. But uh, that's who Bud Hopkins, uh, Bud Hopkins was. Well, why don't we take our bottom of the hour break here? Yes, indeed, you are listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON twelve forty AM ninety nine five FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone Valley, uh, and our, our wonderful guest today, Paul Askoff, all the way from the UK. And we'll be right back to continue our conversation. Stick with us. The night is alive. Join us and take a walk on the weird side when you tune in to The Kingdom of Nye, hosted by Heather Wade, the finest in late-night talk. Listen live free weeknights starting at 9 p.m. Pacific time at thekingdomofnigh.com, talkstreamlive.com, and the Paranormal Radio app. Want to take a ride? Local and live at 99.5 FM. And welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. It is WOON 1240 AM and 99.5 FM. And we're going to continue our conversation with a British author, researcher. Uh, we, and we have some questions from listeners mm-hmm. uh, for Paul Askoff, our guest. And uh, why don't we start with one from Peter Shelley. We, I think we can use his last name because he co-hosted last week. <laughs> and uh, from South America, who was sending uh, his usual excellent question. Yes, Peter, you've you've lost your anonymity privileges. Yes, um, that's all. It's all. <laughs> Alrighty. So Peter writes to us. Uh, can you please ask Paul uh, to share the complete details of the 1995 abduction case involving four people, uh, which he investigated for the BUFORA, and uh, what was his process to investigate it? Okay, guys. Well. That was a case that I investigated for Bufora. Uh, Philip Mantle was the invest, uh, director of investigations at the time for the British UFO Research Association, for listeners that don't know. 
and this was a case that wasn't far from where I lived, maybe 20, 30 miles away, and it was four adults that had allegedly been abducted. Now, I hate to use that word allegedly, because as an investigator, when you speak to these people, it's wrong to sort of put that connotation on it again. You're putting a negative thing on it straight away. To them, they're scared to death. They're real. They're frightened. They're terrified in some cases. Mm. And they want explanations. And this were four adults, two young couples, uh, and they'd... Um, it, they said initially, they noticed that the atmosphere of where they were, they were just not a nice summer's July evening, having a barbecue in the garden, and they noticed the atmosphere was strange. And one of the guys said, it was like, I noticed things were odd and things were happening around me, and they weren't right. And then he noticed that it was suddenly dark. And he, he said, I can remember just thinking, how is it dark so quickly? Um... And then he said that you sort of get to the end of the evening and you go to bed and then you go the next day and it was like, what happened, you know? And they do remember tiny little bits of it naturally. Uh, like he could remember a UFO that was as big as the moon and a UFO that approached them that had seven lights on it. Uh, and it, what I did was initially, you have to get their story of what they can naturally remember and what happened. So we went and looked at the, where they were, so we're looking at the location, we're looking at the background of what, if there was any other sightings there, the Oz effect, these, what can I say, geographical anomalies, these areas of high strangeness. Uh, then you look at the local aircraft, things like that. So if there was anything going on that could explain that where the planets were, where the moon was, were there any meteor showers, all that sort of thing so that you've got a good physical background to start from and to build on from their explanation of what they experienced. Okay, well, well that that's quite, sounds like quite the case. I had not heard of that before. No, me either, actually. Yeah. Well, right. le hey, leave it to Peter. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Peter yeah. does his homework. Hey, that's what we could call the segment, leave it to Peter. Uh, we'll talk about okay. that. Okay. All right. It's on the drawing uh, board. We have uh, Phil, uh, who lives in the lovely uh, heart of the uh, Litchfield Triangle in Connecticut, where anything can and does happen, mm. uh, one of our show reporters. And Phil has two questions for Paul. Indeed. And so uh, Phil writes to us, Can you discuss your idea that humans have a built-in survival instinct that warns us, through fear, that we should not uh, be where we are when we witness or find ourselves in an alien or paranormal encounter. Yeah, sure. It's our normal, the human body, on a chemical level, has an automatic fight-or-flight syndrome, which we use when we get in these sort of situations. However, that's when we're on, going back to the analogy of the records, that is when we're on our record, because that's normal, what we deal with and what our bodies are attuned to. That's the frequency that we're on. However, when you, in what can I say, but once you get into a situation where it may be a high strangeness area, it may not be, but when you get into these places where you may be touching the record above or the record below, now that can be true of the paranormal, it can be true of cryptids, it can be true of UFOs. Because the frequency of where you should be is changing, so you suddenly you're not on that record, you're being taken out of it onto a different level, 
then at a subconscious level, your soul knows you're where you should not be. It instinctively knows you're being taken out of your natural area that's a threat to your soul, not, not just to your physical body. And therefore, we get that inherent, what can I say, terror, if you like. So whether it's, you get uh, cases of uh, people that have seen Sasquatch, people that have seen spirit or ghosts, however you want to call it, and people with UFOs and abductee scenario too. And it's the same, same reaction. It's the same thing. It's the same natural uh, way that the body reacts to it. And that is why if you're taken out of that, your body reacts with the terror that it does. And it does take some uh, getting over that, that, that fear factor of it. Let me throw this at you, Paul, before we get to the second question uh, from Phil. Sure. It seems that, uh, at least in my experience, different people have different reactions in the same situations. For sure. example, uh, in September 2016 in Pennsylvania, I had a, a Bigfoot encounter that I would consider almost sacred. It, it was a beautiful experience, very peaceful. Uh, only a few hundred yards away on a road, uh, not long after that, a little girl in broad daylight encountered what appeared to be the same creature and was was utterly terrified. To, to, to this day, she will not talk to us uh, when we are, are researching there. Um, I tend to think that what you bring to the experience is what you take away from it. Uh, when you prepare spiritually uh, before entering an area where something might happen, I think the experience can be more positive. I mean, unless you're dealing with what we refer to as parasites or, or, or alien uh, of some negative right or something of that kind. Uh, I think that it can be a very positive experience for some, very negative for others. What say you? Yeah, and I agree entirely with, with what you're saying. And I think also it may depend on where that person is on their journey and how advanced spiritually they are. But also it depends on the environment that somebody's been brought up in. If like, I'm sure, sorry to say, that, but the little girl weren't aware of it and probably never even experienced or thought about anything like that before. But for somebody such as yourself, who's an experienced researcher, then it's more, I'm not going to say novelty, but it's more acceptable. You're more aware of what could happen. Well, that could be, it could be as simple as that, you know. Yeah. Uh, ben, you look like you want to ask. Him. Oh, uh, it's it's you know let's let's get into 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 Phil's next question yes. before we, yes. we we jump into a tangent or yes <laughs> fall, go down a road of epistemology. Um, is <laughs> this so? Phil's next question is: Is this survival instinct actually holding us back from understanding paranormal reality? Yep, I would say certainly. But again, it's a survival mechanism. You do get a lot of. Uh, I mean, I'm sure. Jacques Vallée touched on this with his Oz effect, and you do get these places around, geographically around the world, that this where this will occur more frequently than others. Uh, have you heard uh, Paul Sinclair and the Truth Proof series that he's doing now? The area where he's researching, like Skinwalker Ranch, and you have these geographical areas where, if you say... The veil is thin, if you like, where the records are almost touching, and in the right circumstances, it becomes much easier 
to experience the record above or the record below because you could just as easily go down as you can go up the difference is that ET for want of a better term I would suggest would always come down to our frequency to react or interact with us so you will get people that are depending on how they're evolved and how much more spiritually developed they are that will pick things up much better and will experience things differently that's why you should always be wary because we're all at different stages and we all have unique frequencies and you're all looking at an experience from a different place and a different frequency so especially when you get to high strangeness you're looking at it sometimes from a different point of view therefore is it a bit odd occasionally when everybody's telling you the same story should alarm bells be ringing and saying well, why are they all telling me the same thing when they should be looking at it from their point of view instead of the same point of view as everybody else? Hmm. Let's turn that around a bit before we get to some more questions, uh, Paul. W- one of the issues uh, for us has always been, <clears throat> you know, uh, is what's happening, whether paranormal experience, UFO, whatever, is what's happening what it appears to be? In other words, we've frequently run into... Uh, Entities that attempted to be positive and turned out to be negative. I think poltergeist phenomena, uh, as I say, the, the parasites, as, as we refer to them in different terms that we've had to invent just to talk about this stuff. Uh, <clears throat> um, even if you have a positive reaction on your part, what if what you're reacting to is actually negative, or, or is that not likely to happen given our uh, ability to uh, assess it? I, I don't know if I'm clear. Yeah, I think uh, to a certain extent it depends entirely on what you are experiencing. To me, the poltergeist uh, part of it and the other things that people, things like like the dogman, other cryptids and things like that, for me, I mean, I'm, o- I'm only saying is my opinion, is they're coming from a lower frequency. So therefore your experience would tend to be on the more negative side. Now that's not to say that you're not going to get negative experiences from ET or higher frequencies. You get a lot of uh, high strangeness accounts from the spiritual side of things, where people think the saintly and the angels and that sort of thing. But also where ET, you get different ETs where people think it's a wonderful positive thing, and then you get the opposite where people are terrified. And I think it depends entirely on how much they remember, how much they're allowed to remember, and exactly where on that electromagnetic spectrum the experience is coming from. All right, we have a question from Charlie in Oregon, who uh, also frequently sends in excellent questions. Uh, And it's addressed to Ben and myself, but we're going to include Paul in this, and we'll let Paul answer first. Sure. Uh, So Charlie writes to us. Hi, Paul and Ben, uh, and Paul. Uh, I, have either of you had an ET experience? If so, uh, do you remember anything? Have either of you had any hypnotic uh, a, a hypnotic regression session? If so, what happened? Paul, that's in your lap. Well, I've had uh, many, what can I say, experiences, but nothing that I can recall naturally of any ET close-up. Everything's always been uh, at arm's length, if you like. Many experiences, but all at a distance. Okay. 
Well, uh, there we are. Uh, have you ever um, been hypnotized in a regression session of some kind? No. No, okay. I all right, well, that's a, that's a quick hey, answer. So, so, what about you, know, you Ben? Short, short and sweet. Well, uh, the answer is um, in order. Uh, maybe, maybe, no, and no. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's a quick answer, too. Well, uh, as usual, I'll, I'll be perhaps a bit more, more verbose. Uh, after the... Um, an actual ET experience as far as abduction or anything, not that I have any knowledge of. Uh, there was, when I was very small, uh, at the age of you know, three, four, and five, uh, something would turn on the lights in my room. Uh, I don't know if you ever knew that, Ben. No, I did not uh, know that. Revelations about your father. Hey, look at that. This yeah. is live reading. And gra- Grandma used to come in, and she assumed that I would get up in my sleep and turn on the lights, which is perfectly plausible. <laughs> but uh, like in ensuing years, uh, pursuing this subject, I found that... that Lights being turned on uh, is one of the phenomena that is sometimes associated with ET visitations, if not abduction. So, mm. but I know I never any. Well, everybody has marks in their bodies, I guess. But I don't know. I don't, I don't really think I've ever been abducted, at least not as far as I know. As far as hypnotism is concerned, uh, people have tried and failed to hypnotize me. It's, no one's ever been able to do it. That might be a blessing in disguise. Mm. So, all right. <laughs> And so, so I guess, I don't know, Charlie, I guess, I, if that answers your questions uh, from all three of us, I guess uh, that's, uh, that's the thing. I will uh, put an addendum on that. After the, uh, the rather dramatic UFO sighting in Pennsylvania that I got on video and it was witnessed by some of our gang, uh, including uh, Shane Searway, Alexander Petikoff, and uh, Charles Credo, and plus some of the local people, um, I, I, when I got home here to Rhode Island, I had uh, two hours of missing time. Uh, one of the mornings in the following week. So whether that had anything to do with it, I don't know. And, and as a matter of fact, uh, Kathleen Martin asked me uh, if I'd had any missing times experience uh, after that, and, and I, I did report it. And she offered to, uh, you know, uh, do whatever she, you know, hypnotize me. She, she's a, uh, an expert at that, and um, I said she said she could do it. If nobody else could, she could do it. Uh, but I would have to go to uh, Florida for that, and perhaps. Uh, Paul, maybe you could take my place when you go to Florida on, sure. on your holiday. Yes. But take in any many case, notes, um, many pictures. I, I have to, I guess, give a pretty much negative response to all of Charlie's questions. I know. I, I, sorry, <laughs> it's not as dramatic as, as one would hope. No, perhaps not. No, no. Um, one of the things, Paul, uh, is is the, the definition of alien, okay? Uh, most people will assume that's uh, someone from another planet, and, and that's perfectly acceptable. But uh, I tend to use a broader definition because in poltergeist cases, particularly really nasty ones, uh, I've been in the presence of these things, and they just the only word I can think to describe them is alien. You know, not not demon, but alien. So I'm wondering if um, uh, people th- hear about my seminary background and then they assume, oh, you must think all aliens are demons. Well, actually, I think maybe all d- demons, if you want to use the term, are aliens. I, I don't know. Uh, do do you feel that? Uh, the labels we put on these things are good enough to really explain them. Yeah, that's a good question. And again, it comes from a personal point of view mm. and how negative or positive and how much that influences your life. At the end of the day, as humans, we always put labels on things. And if they help us to accept things and move on, then fair enough. Because that is what we naturally try to do. We naturally try to 
rationalise something so that we can put it behind us and move forward. Um, I think uh, ET and maybe sort of whether again going back to what I said earlier, whether it comes from a higher frequency or a lower frequency, it's still alien to us. Anything that's out of our norm, and I think aliens are a handy catch-all phrase that could mean anything in reality because it's out of our out of our control and obviously out of our understanding too. All right. Well, uh, before we uh, use up the hour, tell us about your book, uh, UFOs: The Real Story where people can get it and where people can find out more about you. Sure. The, um, the book itself, um, released by Flying Disc Press, called UFOs, The Real Story, it's available on Amazon as a hardback, paperback, as an e-book, and on Audible. And it basically gives a lot of my background and my experiences that colours it in so that people understand how I, well, why I think like I do, and why things have been interpreted, and I'm not saying I'm an expert, I'm not saying, but this is my take on things, because generally people try have a small slice of the pie, and what I've tried to do is try to write something that people understand the bigger picture, so that it isn't just paranormal, it isn't just cryptids, it isn't just UFOs, they can all be connected, and there is a bigger picture, because you know people will just write about Bigfoot, or they'll just write about uh, Poltergeist, or they'll just write about Rendlesham Forest, or they'll just write about Roswell. And they're all little pieces of the same puzzle. And what I tried to do was try to help to people to try and tie it all together so that they had a better understanding, and then they can go off and it, with a better picture in the mind of what's really happening at the back of it all. Does that make sense? It makes perfect yeah, sense, makes and sense. I certainly agree. As a matter of fact, the, the book takes one in unexpected directions, which I found uh, rather refreshing. Mm. So uh, I, I would uh, urge people to uh, to check it out. An, an excellent book. So, Paul, what is your next step? Where, where do you go now in your research, and uh, what are you working on? Right. What I'm trying to do, you see, the other thing to go on from me trying to make it simple for people to understand is you do get, uh, researchers and authors, and there's some fantastic people out there that have done a lot of work that are really, really good. However, if you tend to get too scientific about things, where people can just pick a book up and read it, and it seems to make common sense, and it's, yeah, okay, I understand that. If you get too deep and too scientific, they have to stop and think about it, and often when they get to that point, they just go, put the book down, I'll read something else. People have to be able to understand in layman's terms and you have to try and make it easy for people. So that's what I've tried to do without going too deep. Now, I would now like to go forward and put some scientific explanation behind it all for those of us out there that have uh, been there and done that and sort of try to explain it from a more scientific point of view that helps to explain why these things are happening. Okay. Well, what reactions have you had from uh, other people about these ideas? You do you do go farther than most, or further than most uh, people in in the field. Um, what reactions have you had to the book so far? Well, well, I have to say, amazing. <laughs> I've done about twenty odd podcasts at the moment, <laughs> and 
I've been asked to go down to do a television interview for new programs for a, a, a documentary coming up, and I've had nothing but positive reactions. Now, for me, it's nice to get that feedback because I want people to be able to understand in their terms and something that they can encompass as something that's easy for people to get a handle on rather than struggling and not doing that, you know. So maybe that's just why I'm getting a good response because I'm like the guy next door who knows a little bit about something but it's not too deep, if you know what I mean. Okay. We have a very last-minute question in our last few minutes from Peter in South America. Ben, ben would ah, you do the yes. Answer? So Peter very quickly asks, uh, we do actually have enough time for another question, so good, good timing. Uh, do you have any insights on the Black Triangle sightings in the U.K., which seem very high. Sure. And I, and I think, again, you get this um, where before you, different phases have different ships and different sightings in different areas at different times and through through the years. Now, more recently, we're getting more and more Black Triangle sightings. I mean, the biggest one, obviously, was the Phoenix Lights uh, experience that everybody had over there but then the Belgian wave that was black triangles as well so we th- we are tending to get them in Europe and I think from the 90s onwards they've become more and more prevalent and uh, but still not as big a percentage as I would have thought now whether this is some black project that we're not being allowed in its military or because you get different um, experiences that people are getting where the actual movement of the UFOs is completely different to our normal technology. So that is one of the things, I'll, I'll just go back to Rendlesham Forest and these others. If you're able to control the frequency and if you're able to understand it, you can therefore, everything is controlled by thought. And that is what one of the things Bud Hopkins said, Dolores Cannon, Kath Marden, when they're doing all this with the abductees, they all three have said that the abductees said everything's been controlled by thought. Therefore, you get the movement of these vehicles that can be explained because there's no such thing as G-forces. You get these, they get really annoying me, these people on television that say, there were no visible flight surfaces, there were no heat plume, there were no rubbish. They don't use our physics at all. Everything's done by thought. So if they want to go, you want to go to Cape Cod now from where you are, boom, you're in Cape Cod. End of story. So speed doesn't matter, manoeuvrability doesn't matter. There's none of that. And whether you're in space, whether you're in the air, whether you're in our oceans and lakes, it's irrelevant because they're in their own little bubble. So there aren't any G-forces, there aren't any speed, they don't feel anything, they're not moving to them. So everything's done at a different level. They're not using our physics. And that's what people have to get over. So whether it's a black triangle, whether it's lights in the sky, whether it's a group of lights moving bizarrely, they're moving bizarrely because they're not using our physics. Well, that's something for the transportation authorities to uh, to think about very uh, very mm. seriously. And how will they tax it? Yeah, <laughs> precisely. Do the aliens have taxes? That's the subject of our next mm. show when we have Paul back. Don't give the idea to the IRS. No. Paul, 
Paul Askoff, tremendous show. Thank you so very much, and uh, best of luck with with the book, and uh, we'll be talking to you off the air. Sure. It's been wonderful. Thank you very much for having me, guys. Anytime. Very good. Yes, we've only barely scratched the surface. Indeed. Indeed. Okay, let's get to our announcements. Indeed. Uh, our show now has its own app. It's uh, pretty simple and bare bones, but it has... Uh, most of our past shows uh, with links to them, uh, but we plan to add features as we go once we figure out how to do it. Uh, it should be in the Apple and Google online stores in a while. There are a lot of hoops to jump through for that to occur because it's a free. The app is free. They, they think you're trying to sell it, so therefore you have to have bank information and down in Bradstreet and all sorts of things that you <laughs> nobody could imagine. Little, little wild do they know brilliant. we make no money off of this? No, well, exactly. <laughs> we do this kind of as a, like a favorite of the. To the multiverse, I don't know. Anyway, there's a link at BehindTheParanormal.com, our show site, if you would like to download it now. And uh, there you have it. Cool. And you can check out our books along with those of our guest co-hosts at our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, where you can also find out more about the show, our many cases over the years, our public appearances, and how to book us along with some of our 900-plus free recorded shows from our 13-plus years on the air, along with special shows and podcasts. Uh, and don't forget that you can check us out also um, through many different platforms and all those shows going back to 2009. Uh, sorry, I'm taking your stuff, Dad. It's, uh, it's all right. So you can check us out on YouTube. Uh, if you just search Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, you'll find uh, all of the shows that we have. We they, they get uploaded automatically, so you can check those out there. You can go to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, it's all there. Uh, the Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live, and you can check us out on Spotify as well. And our website has a charity page uh, with links to several good causes that we've adopted on the show. Now we have a uh, added a new charity, which is Hope for Hilldale Cemetery in Haverhill, Massachusetts, run by a good friend of ours, Tom Spitaleri. Uh, other charities include USA Cares, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, uh, Helping Haiti's Orphans, Youth Mentoring Connections in Los Angeles, the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America, and the Sisterhood of Ground Zero, along with the Milk Fund here in Northern Rhode Island. And I have to mention that uh, Tom Spitaleri has been on the phone to me in, over the last few days, and the, apparently he's quite happy, and deservedly so. Uh, the state of Maine has, uh, after pulling the carpet out from under him uh, and the Parafest, New England Parafest event last year, mm. uh, laid out the red carpet for him. He said ah. even state representatives were there. Wow. So apparently he's going to be back in the town of Kittery. Uh, all is forgiven. Uh, and it's going to be in April. We'll have the dates for you. It's going to be a five-day event. Whoa. And you don't know this yet, but we're doing the show from there. <laughs> now, and uh, live, as we do with, with our panel of speakers at various events. And uh, we'll have more information uh, next week. All right. So uh, what's on the picnic table for the next show, Ben? Well, next weekend is uh, July 4th, Independence Day here in the U.S., so we will do a rebroadcast. The eye-opening February 7th show with uh, Paola Lupizzi uh, Harris in conversations with Colonel Corso. And uh, we'll be back live on July 7th with Open Lines. And just for anybody who doesn't know, Colonel Philip Corso was the one who uh, was uh, reportedly uh, in charge of events, I should say, uh, the Roswell crash debris and uh, for the Pentagon and uh, seeding it into American industry in the 19, late 1940s and early 1950s. Question. I think it should be July 11th, not 7th. Uh, oh, you're right. Okay. Yeah. No, the February 7th. February 7th. No. Fe- That's the rebroadcast. No, no, no. I mean, we'll be back Don't live on... Don't confuse me, let alone we'll the We'll be listeners. back live on July 11th. 
Oh, July, we will. Yes. Indeed. All right. Forget I said it. All right. We leave you today with a thought uh, from person or persons unknown. Never judge people by their past. People learn. People change. People move on. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. And we shall see you next time on Behind the Paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.